0: Don't mind him, it's all good news for us who believe. Heaven is open above us and some of you can tell that warmth in your hearts, that peace that has nothing to do with your circumstances is the presence of the Lord. And thank you to our musicians taking us to heaven. Our first reading today is from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 65. This is almost the end of Isaiah's prophecy. He prophesied for over 40 years for the stretch of four Jewish kings. Everybody was in trouble. Judah was in trouble. Jerusalem was in trouble. The nations in the neighborhood were in trouble. Judgments were coming. And then about two-thirds into the prophecy, the tone changes. The Messiah comes. The Lamb appears. The sacrifice is offered and accepted. And the good news begins to roll out. And the prophecy is almost over. Chapter 65, we'll start reading in verse 17. The English says, See, si I create. The Hebrew says, Ki hineni boreh. Present tense. In fact, it is perfect presence. God takes it from the future and puts it in your present. He's already doing it. I create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy The work of their hands they will not labor in vain nor will they eat nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune for they will be a people blessed by the Lord they and their descendants with them before they call I will answer while they are still speaking I will hear the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like an ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain," says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Our second reading is from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, chapter three. A warning. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. Now we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: The Gospel reading today is found in the book of Luke. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. The Good News According to Luke Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near, do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will arise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, They will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony of me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but now the hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be heathen.
3: Let's pray. Lord, um, we uh, humble ourselves before you and pray that you'll be merciful to us and to teach us once again and empower us Lord, to live out those things that you taught us by word and by example. Lord, the things you teach us are spirit and life. And we pray, Lord, that um, as we do follow you and put those words into practice, that you will bring life to each one of us. And we ask that that life would overflow to others and not something that we keep only to ourselves. And in your name we ask these things. Amen. We're coming to the end of the liturgical year. And in the Christian tradition, and in the Jewish tradition as well, as you come to the end of the... To the end of that year, you begin to think about the future. And so, just before Advent in the Christian tradition, you have a number of uh, readings that um, focus on or emphasize the teaching of Jesus uh, about the last days, uh, the world to come, and more. And interestingly, it's the it's true uh, as well in the Jewish liturgical tradition because the Jewish um, uh, liturgical year ends uh, at Sukkot. And Sukkot is a holiday about the future. It's a messianic holiday. It's a holiday with the, uh, that expects the redemption, uh, the redemption of the world, not simply the redemption of, of Israel. So I find that parallel uh, uh, really interesting, but it's always with some fear and trepidation, trepidation that um, you, one enters uh, the subject of uh, Jesus and, and the last days, the, the end times, uh, simply because they are awfully contro- they're very uh, controversial, uh, and at times uh, we have uh, not only misunderstood. Uh, what Jesus is trying to say, but we've oftentimes had the wrong emphasis, and that has brought um, some very negative consequences to our witness and to, and, uh, to our community. Although I must say that if we would emphasize prophecy in the last days and the rebuilding of the temple, and the war of Gog and Magog, and the Antichrist. Is it Putin? Is it Henry Kissinger? Wait a minute, Henry Kissinger cannot be the Antichrist because he's 99 years old, so we better scrap that. Is it the present? Is it some royal figure in the House of Windsor? If we did emphasize that, I can assure you of one thing. All our financial problems would be solved. Because we'd have the crowds, and boy, the, the money would, would come rolling in, and we'd be able to fix the, the deterioration of the, of the building. But uh, we can't do that. Uh, and instead, I would like to uh, simply emphasize that as we look at the passage, uh, what Jesus has to teach us is not only relevant for some event that might happen in the future it's actually relevant for us today, and tomorrow, and the week following, as well as uh, whenever the last days come. I I don't know when that is, might be tonight, might be in a thousand years. But I think what Jesus simply uh, tells us, uh, hopefully, uh, you'll find relevant for life. And so, we have Jesus in Luke's gospel uh, teaching about the end times in the temple. And uh, Luke's got an interesting relationship with the temple. Luke, Acts does. Uh, the book of Luke starts in the temple. The book of Luke ends in the temple. The Holy Spirit falls on the disciples, maybe in the, in the temple area the The early believers uh have like jesus had some affection for the temple they they met at, at the in the portico of Solomon so on and so forth at the same time toward the end Jesus foresees the destruction of the temple um, and uh, our passage begins with the disciples who are remarking were remarking to jesus about the temple. Uh, how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. Can't you just imagine or picture the scene? It's Jesus' teaching and the disciples say, Jesus, don't we have a beautiful cathedral? Aren't you impressed with how beautiful this building is? And I don't think Jesus hated the temple or scorned the temple. If we, again, remember Luke's gospel, there's a temple piety in Luke's gospel and Jesus and his family made the sacrifice to come and visit the temple every year, unlike most families from Galilee. Um, And surely, if we've read Josephus or even uh, gleam some hints from the New Testament, the temple was a gorgeous, gorgeous building it was probably the most beautiful and most impressive and the largest religious building in the ancient world. We know that uh, it was built with snow-white marble. We know that in many places it, it was uh, etched with gold. We know that when the sun rise, that when the sun came up over the Mount of Olives and, and uh, struck the stones of the temple that uh, it would glow almost in an effervescent way that some of the stones, as, as we all know, are five to six hundred tons. And humanly speaking, it was very impressive. And it's almost as if the disciples saying, Jesus, not only are we impressed, but isn't this too big to fail? Yes, haven't we invested so much time and effort For God, yes. How can anything go wrong with this? And I think maybe the first lesson to think about in all this is that nothing is too big to fail. And I think many of us, um, in terms of the way we want to understand the future, whether the future is tomorrow or next week or in 50 years, is the question is, where do we put our security? As yes, is the security, as our security in the nation-state, and uh, take the case of my nation, very huge budget, that dominates the world, huge military, and uh, many of us think, well, there, therein we find security, or my stock portfolio, I don't, I, I've got it diversified, I don't think anything can happen to it, or my health, the way I've taken care of myself. I've been eating, I've been living on a keto diet for 15 years, you know. <clears throat> I'm sh- and eating a spoonfuls of turmeric every day. Surely cancer, cancer's not gonna get me. Cancer's not gonna get me. Um, and so already Jesus, Jesus points out uh, or Jesus, I think, highlights in, or to, or for us, right, or it should, we should ask the question, right? Wherein is our security, right? What gives us confidence and hope for the future? And yes, we'll all admit, yes, we'll say, yes, it's God, yes, it's Jesus, yes, it's God's word, but in reality, is that really so? And after addressing this, I think Jesus goes on to. Jesus goes on to um, say the following. He says, "Well, not one stone will be left upon another." And then they ask, "Teacher, when will these things happen?" I'm sure there was some anxiety and all of that. And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? And here's, <clears throat> here's what I think is relevant about the passage in which we read. It's not the signs. And if, in fact, it kind of worries me that every time, or many times, when uh, uh, this, is, this passage is taught, or when there's preaching about the end times, it, people, it's all about the signs. Yes, is the one world government coalescing? Uh, is the Russians preparing to invade the Middle East? Well, at the moment, they can't succeed in in invading Ukraine. Uh, Or what about Iran? Or what about the one-world religion? Um, Earthquakes everywhere, famines everywhere. Surely these are all signs of the times. And there is some truth that Jesus says, you know, watch for the signs. But at the same time, there is something, I think, more important in all of this. And here's what I think should be highlighted. Gee, he replied. He replied to the question about the signs, the events. He says, watch out. Watch out. Yes, be careful. Be on guard. Yes, be alert. And be alert to what? Be alert, he says, goes on to say, um, that you, me, that we are not deceived. That we are not deceived. Why? For two reasons. Because many are coming in my name claiming I am He, and the time is near. Do not follow them. Do not follow them. And again, it can be really simple, and we can say, you know, that's not me, and that's never, never gonna happen to me. But the minute that we say, that uh, I will never be deceived or I'll never be tricked is the very minute that we're in danger, right? Because we are so easily, are we not, as human beings, we are so easily, easily um, fooled. I love that song, I Won't Get Fooled Again. You know it, some of you should know it, right? Well, it can't be the anthem for many uh, church groups or even nation states or, or pol- politicians, because as human beings, we do get fooled over uh, and over again. And uh, the, self, the, the, the deception is right, is so often generated within us. And so we uh, are b- very blind to our own weaknesses. We're blind to our own faults. And um, I think it was Freud, I'm not sure. And if you're having a, if you have a problem with, uh, with us bringing Freud up this evening, uh, even a broken clock can be right twice a day. Okay, so it, it, it was Sigmund Freud who said something to the effect that we can look at ourselves in the mirror for 50 years or 70 years, and we can barely discern, right, our weaknesses, our faults, those places in our lives that might be dysfunctional. And um, when we do, we will in one way or another justify them or make excuses for ourselves. And yet someone can come and talk to us for an hour and figure us out and see us in such a way that it takes it might take us a lifetime, right, to come to the same the same conclusions. And further, we, are, we can blame all this on the devil, and there's there's no doubt that the devil is a liar and that the devil does deceive. but i'm always I always return to the story of Eve in the garden, the devil who comes who's very crafty. he deceives Eve in just one simple way, right? By mm. doubting God. And Eve, you know, takes off like a rocket. And uh, she's going to eat that fruit uh, for, for a number of different reasons, not even, suggest, not even suggested by the snake, right? So that deception often lies deep within us. And very often the deception, and we've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again, the deception is that we have a hard time believing that God is actually for us. We sing the song, God is for us, you know, who can be against us, et cetera, et cetera. And boy, is it a great song. But do we really believe it? Do we really believe that God has our best, God has, uh, you might say, his intentions for us, you know, or has our best at heart? Or is it that, yeah, I'm not quite sure uh, because maybe I'm suffering, or I feel like God is restricting my self-flourishing in one way or another. Uh, Maybe I better figure this out on my own. Maybe I really fully can't trust God, but maybe I can trust God a little bit, especially if he provides those things that I need and makes me, Uh, happy or makes me feel significant. So there is that sort of that doubt, that nagging, nagging doubt that um, I think it's deep within the heart of most people. In fact, there's a dissatisfaction that easily, easily can manifest itself. It says the grass is somehow greener on the other side. And so that, that leaves us susceptible to depression, I mean to deception. And so too, by, so too does um, our lifestyle and the ethics by which we live. So much of theology, so much of theology is determined by our own, re- by, determined by our rebelliousness. And I mentioned before that once I talked to a youth leader and uh, he was someone involved in youth work. And the youth leader said something to the effect, he said, many kids increasingly come to me and they uh, start to question the authority of the Bible. And he says, you know, they're not sure they can trust the Bible. And, and he says, usually I respond with a question as follows. He says, I don't even ask them about the theology. He says, um, who are you sleeping with? Who are you sleeping with? And by the way, 80% of all so-called evangelical couples who are on their way to get married are having sex together. Right? So there's going to be some justification, right? some uh, self-deception that very often is going to allow us right, to, to, to be deceived or to go down a road a road of deception. And I would like to say, just one other thing, you know. Jesus said, well, people are gonna come and say, people are gonna come and say, I am he, okay? And we'll say, I'm not following any guru, no rock star, no lead guitar player, no actress, no politician, that's not for me, but believers, will do something slightly deviant. They'll, they'll, we, let's say we, we will adopt an ideology or a philosophy or a, a political line of thinking, which is, in a way, it becomes very messianic. It doesn't have anything to do with God, but because of our fear of the future, because of a certain panic, because of a certain, maybe even laziness, we're gonna latch on to someone who's gonna come along and say, I'm gonna solve all your problems. You know, and you just, you know, you hitch your, you hitch your wagon to my horse, and uh, presto. You know, instead of hard work, or instead of working slowly, maybe to solve the problems in any society, will look for the instant shortcut. And so, for example, Christians, people want to know, why did so many Christians support Adolf Hitler and the program of National Socialism? I can tell you why, because he was gonna solve many of the moral and ethical problems, so he said, in the society. He was a man who was fighting for family values, and he was gonna roll back hedonism, and roll back decadence, and return Germany and make it a moral place. Ha, ha, ha. But people fell for that. And people, by the way, they fall for the Marxist idea. Millions and millions of people fell for this, including many Christians who left the church and some who even stayed in the church because the Marxist dream was to build heaven on earth, especially at the the expense of millions and millions of people. That were murdered along the way, who got, who somehow were thought to be uh, delaying, you know, paradise. And this sexual revolution is, it? all we need to do is be inclusive, and to be free, and to get rid of all the repression and hang-ups, and you know, throw off the rules. Yes, and uh, it, then it's some. We enter into some kind of, uh, you know, redemptive redemption, or even uh, a messianic age. So we can be easily fooled, and we you know, we need to be careful. And one other thing, Jesus said, people will come and say, "Here I am, the Messiah is here," etc., etc. And may I um, remind you? That the reason that a lot of ministers, preachers, church leaders, they get a little shy, you might say, a little kind of with a little bit skittish when it comes to an overemphasis on prophecy is because it leads to disorder and it leads to chaos in the congregation. And you can't build a congregation and you can't build community life and discipleship, right, if everyone is in an uproar. Uh, about prophecy and that by the way was our second reading wasn't it the second reading was from Thessalonians and in the book of Thessalonians the, the poor folks there thought that Jesus had returned so they quit working and they were living on COVID handouts okay and so Paul says and in, in the in the book he says, we hear that some among you are idle. Yeah, they are, they are not busy. They are busy bodies, which is in a play on words. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to earn the bread that they eat. As, and as for you brothers, never tire of what is doing right. Now what does the word idle mean? It means disorder. It means that there is some kind of chaos and breakdown in community life that has come into the community. In fact, it has the sense of a soldier deserting his post in a time of war. Yes, and so th- this is the, I think the wrong emphasis on this uh, uh, does bring disorder. Now hopefully we all long for and love the Lord's appearance. But again, there needs to be, you might say, some boundaries or some restrictions in the way that um, we, put this, uh, we put this into practice, that it shouldn't bring sensationalism or shouldn't bring fear, but instead uh, should spur us all, right, to continue, as Paul says here, uh, to, to continue or never tire we should say of, of doing what is right, and so what's the what's the formula? Not the formula. What's the medicine for for deception? Watch out! Don't be deceived. I think it can be summed up in one word. Yeah, not a word that we we're, we're used to hearing, but it's simply humility. Humility, and it's the kind of humility, right that David prays in Psalm 51, Lord, examine me to see if there's any wicked way in me. That, that, that takes <clears throat> some honesty, right? To, to go before the Lord and say, Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to show me. Or what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, Examine your stand firm, but examine yourselves to see if you're to see if you're in. Um, to see if you're in the faith. So it begins with a willingness to say, Lord, examine me. But also, yeah, there has to be a willingness to be accountable to people in a community. And all of this, it's me and Jesus stuff. You know, I don't need anything more but the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to be religious and be in a church, but I am, of course, very spiritual, and I have the Lord, etc., etc. All of this, yes, I think is surely a formula uh, for disaster. May I remind you of Paul in Ephesians when he is trying to encourage the church to come to maturity and he has to remind the church that in a community, right, God has um, ordained people to be prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to do what? To prepare us for the works of God's service so that we all may reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature and attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. And here, instead, speaking the truth in love we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ right, right. there's there's an, an accountability there and it's a context where there is, there is love but also at the same time uh, there is honesty and there you know another reminder for us and such is in the book of the end of uh, the end of hebrews um, And Paul says in chapter 13, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not ceremonial foods, which are no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those uh, who minister uh, at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burnt outside the camp. And so... Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we have no enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. This introduces a whole issue of of us having enough courage, right, not to be swayed uh, by Uh, uh, society, or by the culture of our day, to have some sense of being aliens, but that's not what, uh, and Paul goes on to say, or not Paul, the writer of Hebrews, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be no advantage and no advantage for you. So that is the second. And finally, we have to have enough humility and make enough effort that we're willing to learn from the past. And you might remember uh, Numbers 15 where Moses says to Israel, remember all the commandments of the Lord so that you do not play the harlot. And that's just one of many instances or many places where the command to remember occurs over and over and over again, right? If you want to say that we're going to learn from history, right, our basic history book is hit. this is the Bible. This is the history of God's dealings, largely, God's dealings with the people of Israel. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, Now these things. Especially thinking, mention, uh, highlighting the wilderness generation, these things happen to them for our example. These things happen to our fathers as an example, meaning that we learn, right, what to do, what not to do by studying the scriptures. Uh, And this idea that somehow I'm going to simply reinvent the wheel or start afresh with Jesus and have no reference or connection to the past is extremely dangerous. And that is also why it's important to study church history and uh, the way that God has dealt with his people over 3,000 years. That maybe we will include God's dealings with the Jewish people as well. Yes, what went wrong? What, what did the church do right? It's not all bad news and it's not all good news, right? but we have to have enough humility to say "I, I, I have, we have, something, um, we have something to learn from all of this. I think that will help us right, not to be deceived. And by the way, this deception, this deception is not um, all about the, something that might happen in the future, So we have to be. This deception happens just can happen in life, and it can happen as we get older. It can happen when we become bitter, or maybe we're disappointed because things didn't turn out the way that they should have. Our kids are not what we had hoped. Uh, We might become cynical, we might lose the ability to endure hardship uh, joyfully. And so these words of Jesus, they're for today, they're for tomorrow, you know, they're, for, they're for the generation that finds itself standing you know, at the end of the age. And then Jesus says, and we're going to end with this. There are more, but let's end with this. Jesus talks about right, being persecuted, being persecuted in the synagogues, being persecuted by religious authorities, being persecuted by political authorities. Oftentimes persecution and misunderstanding comes from people who think they're doing God a favor. And I don't want to highlight or emphasize uh, what happens in the book of Acts with Jewish people because all through history we've had one Christian group that's persecuted another Christian group. Um, And... uh, Again, in all of this, we we need to have a certain, we need to have a certain humility. But Jesus tells us that we, uh, in all of this, we should look for the opportunity, uh, we have to look for the opportunity to be witnesses. And he says that uh, he will tell us what to say uh, in this persecution. And he says the result of the persecution on account of his name will result in you being witnesses to them. What are we being, first of all, who is the witness? When we think of, oh, witnessing, we think of, oh, me. I'm the one who has to go out and witness for the Lord. Well, that's true, There's, but at the same time, the biblical understanding of witness or the biblical understanding of testimony is very pregnant with the idea that a witness is always a community Right? A witness is an ada. right? And so when Jesus says at the, in Acts chapter one, you are my witnesses, he's saying also you are my family, you are my community, and it's the community, not only the individuals, that has to be the witness. And that might change the way that uh, we understand holiness, and might under- change the way in which we understand the importance of a community. And certainly in the la- and the whole COVID um, disaster, you might say, we can ask the question, did our community, were we a positive witness? Were we a negative witness? You can say, well, I didn't go along with all those people who did. No, what? who were we? Yes, uh, as a community and it's communities that count and have the bigger impact, less so than individuals. But what should we witness? What should be our witness? And here I believe, and this is, I think, very important, that the witness that we give um, has to be simply this. It needs to be summed up in these words. In the light of all these things happening, our witness has to be, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. And why can we say that, or why should we say? Why should we live that? It's not something that we can only say with our mouth. It's something that we have to uh, live with. The, with uh, live with our lifestyles, right? Because, well, we our witness has to be. Um, it has to be such because we. Um, because this is tied to the truth of redemption. And what does redemption mean? Redemption is not only that Jesus died for me and I can go to heaven, praise the Lord, that's true, yeah. Really, uh, redemption is that hatred, right, or human stinkiness, right, sin, Uh, disease, death, whatever it may be, um, does, not have the last wor- does not have the last word in this world, right? That that's not the, the, all of this, uh, you might say, human tragedy or the things that have happened throughout history which seem to somehow go on and on and on and there's never uh, an end to it, right? That's the witness of our, I believe, uh, the witness of our uh, community that we um, hold out an alternative view of history, uh, an alternative view of living, uh, that in the end, yes, that God in his redemptive ways, he ends up winning. He ends up conquering death, conquering sin, right? Subduing human rebellion But in order for us to live that witness, as Jesus says a number of times in the passage, right? we ourselves can't be afraid, or we ourselves can't live in a way that basically says, oh, uh, death and disease have the final word, or dictators have the final word, or genocide uh, genocide has uh, the final word there has to be something more and that's that's hope and we don't discount that as something kind of ambiguous or something oh this seems kind of flimsy or or a bit abstract no it's it's simply the opposite if we are not those witnesses right to a God who is in the process of bringing redemption and creating a people for himself right, who can live above and beyond fear, fear of the future, fear of what's going to happen in the world tomorrow. And by the way, I don't think we have to be, um, I don't think we have to believe that we're necessarily, you know, uh, standing at the end of the age or that Bible prophecy is going to be fulfilled tomorrow because the the world is in serious trouble. And the old international order, that was created after World War II. Yes, as imperfect as it was, it's all breaking down. It's all in a state of collapse. And now there are vacuums and, uh, and people don't, um, nation states don't know the boundaries anymore. And uh, this is a, a very fearful, can be a very fearful time. This is a time when As one nation goes up and another nation goes down, it's when you get war. Not just regional wars, but even global war. And so the times which we live in are indeed serious. And uh, we need to be that light and that salt uh, in the world. And the message has to be because God loves the world and because of the obedient suffering of his son Jesus, the offering and the giving of himself, right? That uh, there is indeed hope. And further, that the Lord who said, I will never leave you, uh, right? Or I will be with you always to the end of the earth or, um, or to the end, end of the world. Yes, that we have an assurance that the Lord is with us. And finally, I would just add that all of this has to be strengthened uh, by prayer, And uh, soon I would like to just uh, read the end of the passage as a theme that goes over and over again through Luke is the importance of prayer. And it's not prayer as, oh, I have a laundry list of things to tell God. I think Luke has a different, certainly different ideas. So let's look in verse 34 and we'll end with this. So uh, now it says, and I'll read it from the Amplified, it says, but be on your guard, once again, be watchful, so that your hearts are not weighed down and depressed with the giddiness of debauchery and the nausea of self-indulgence, I like that, and the worldly worries of life, and then that day when the Messiah returns, will not come upon you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the earth. But keep alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength and ability to be found worthy to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand in the presence of the Son of Man and His coming." And so a prayer life, and even as Paul would say in Ephesians 6 or Romans 8, praying in the Spirit not just for ourselves, but for others, I think would be essential in all of this. And again, may I remind you that all of us, sooner rather than later, will be standing in the presence of the Son of Man. Yes, because we're all, we all have very, very, very short lives. And we will all have to give account of ourselves. And therefore, right, being a keeping alert, making sure that we are not deceived, that we don't in some way ruin our witness, that we don't become idle or disorderly, that we remain full of hope, yes, despite whatever uh, personal um, hardships that we have to endure. And of course, all of this will strengthen uh, and encouraged by having a prayer life. Again, praying not just for ourselves, but praying for all the saints, as Ephesians chapter six tells us. So Father in heaven, we do We do look to you. And Lord, we pray that uh, you will strengthen us at this time. And we ask that uh, our message, uh, uh, do not fear because God so loved the world, will be a reality in our lives. And it certainly will be, uh, you will enable us as individuals and even as a community to share that message. And Lord, as things do get darker, we pray that uh, the light that you've given us will shine brighter. Lord, we know that you will give us those things to say when uh, necessary. But Father, we also pray that uh, You will help us to to prepare for that day, Lord, by um, praying and being watchful. And we do ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
2: Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.